We're going to look at uh, John chapter 7, continuing in our study, the gospel of John. We're going to look at a 10 or 11 verses, starting in verses 14. And I want to begin by just thinking as I was preparing for this sermon, C.S. Lewis some time ago wrote some essays and uh, theological ideas down uh, entitled God in the Dock. And evidently in England, the dock is in a trial setting. The dock is where the accused sat. And, and in these essays and in these theological discussions that he writes out, basically says there was a change between the pre-modern world and the modern world with the coming of the Enlightenment, with rationalism, uh, with people like Descartes and Immanuel, uh, Immanuel Kant, he said, uh, man used to think that God was on the outside looking down, and he was the one who determined truth. But since the turning of the ages into the modern world, man now placed himself at the center. Man was the one who was able to determine truth. He calls that God in the dock. We need to realize that it just didn't simply happen in the modern era, but it's been going on, at least at an individual level, since the fall. In some sense, man is trying to blame God, right? Adam and Eve, after the fall, God comes to Adam, says, what's going on, and he basically says, God, I think, it was, uh, I think it was the woman that you gave me. The Israelites, once they were redeemed, they're wandering around in the desert and they're asking the question after they've been redeemed, this, things aren't going the way that we want it to go, so God, you must hate us. C.S. Lewis says, God is now in the dock. Man, though, is quite a kindly judge. If God has a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war and poverty and disease, we are certainly ready to listen. Our trial may even end up in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. Our passage this morning that we're going to read, we'll see how this is worked out in the life of Jesus. We tend to think that that the trial of Jesus simply occurred at the end of his life with Pontius Pilate. The truth of the matter is, and John presents this pretty consistently in the middle portions of the gospel, the truth is Jesus was always on trial. And the beautiful thing about this, the thing that I, that I hope we can wrap our arms around this morning the beautiful thing is Jesus willingly allows himself to be put on trial. Not because it's right, but because he wants to for God's glory. He wants to so that we would be saved. So let's look at our passage, John chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. It's printed for you in your bulletins there. By the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. 
The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this picture of Jesus Christ coming before different types of people, some who are simply curious, some some who are open and receptive, some who maybe are, are angry or antagonistic. We thank you that This, your Son, our Savior, came and opened himself up to these questions. And I pray, Father, that as we look at these words of yours given to us by your grace, that you would open up our minds. And that the questions that we may have this morning as we come into your house and worship, these questions that we have, would you answer them? Not only would you answer them, but would we be open to hearing your answers? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So we have man's questions that are posed to Jesus, or just one question. Man's question posed to Jesus. We have his response. It's an in-depth response. And then lastly, we see his desire. Man posing a question to Jesus, Jesus' response. And in that response, we see what he's looking for. And really, when I, when I think about why am I preaching this sermon this morning, what is the message that I want you to walk away with when we're done, and I thought about it, and I want you to fall in love with Jesus. If you don't know the love that Jesus has for you, I hope that you see it and you'll respond with loving him back. If you already do know that you love Jesus, I hope that it grows. The question posed to Jesus would We don't know exactly the tone that the question is asked, but what makes you so smart, Jesus? It could be said either, wow, Jesus, you were really smart. How'd you get to be so smart? Or it could be, wow, you think you're really smart. How did you get that? Why should we believe you? Why are you so different than what we're used to? 
What is it that makes you so special? See, verses 14 and 15, in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he was teaching. And the Jews marveled, saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? We don't know exactly what he was teaching, but we do know that he was teaching God's word. That's what they did. We don't know the tone of the question, like I said. Were they genuine? Did they really want to know? Or why did they want to know? But we do know that his teaching was very good because they marveled at it. We do know that it was at a particular time. It was in the middle of the feast. And listen, when when John's audience was reading this gospel for the first time, they understood what this feast was all about. And, And the people that were coming to Jesus here they understood what, it, what, the, what this feast was about as well, but we may not. Now, you need to understand that, that in, in, in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish religion, they had three big annual feasts. The first feast, of course, is the Passover feast. It would happen in the spring, which was the beginning of their year, and it was a week-long celebration of their redemption of their being delivered by God from out of slavery. So that was a big feast, big festival. 50 days later, seven weeks, they would have the Feast of the Harvest. It's when the first fruits were brought in. It was the beginning of God's provision. And it was a pretty big feast too. The last feast is this feast, the feast that Jesus joins in the middle. It's the biggest of all the feasts. It's called the Feast of Ingathering, or it was called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the culmination of the year. The harvest was complete. All the hard work was done. The work was finished, and the rest was supposed to begin. They referred to it as booths or tabernacles because they would build up temporary shelters during this week of festival. And it would remind them of where they came from, but it also reminded them of what God promised to do for them in the future. That at some point in the future, during this celebration, they would be reminded that God promises to make everything right. That's this feast. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Then in the middle of this feast, they're looking for something. Uh, The purpose of this celebration is to look forward to God providing and, and giving bounty. And right there in front of them is the meaning of the feast. And they don't get it. If they did get it, they would not have asked the question. But they don't get it. So the Jews are amazed and they ask, how does this man get such learning without having studied? In other words, where does this man, Jesus, get such authority? Because he has a command of scripture and they want to know, who is it that taught you these things, Jesus? It is interesting how the people listening to Jesus don't really understand, isn't it? And, you know, when I began my study of this passage, I wanted to say, I I can't believe that they're not getting this. I mean, he's in the temple. He's with people who are at a minimum. uh, These are the people that went to church, right? These are the people that, that should have been aware of God's word because they had a Bible too. It wasn't as complete as ours, but they had a Bible. But 
you always see Jesus baffling them. And as I study the passage, I, I realized that um, they're not being critiqued uh, because they misunderstand what's going on. I mean, I think it's human to misunderstand God in some measure, right? Because he is in a different category, or at least he ought to be in a different category. God is much different than us. And I can even see why they're looking for a worldly king. They're, they're looking for a political messiah. That's why he comes in the middle of the feast privately instead of at the beginning of the feast publicly because there were all sorts of people there that wanted to make him king, just not the right kind of king. But still, a lot of the people here, they have been confronted with some pretty amazing things. If, if, if they weren't there, they probably heard about Jesus turning water into wine. They do know that, that uh, the last time he was in Jerusalem, he healed a crippled man. That's referenced in our passage that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in just a minute. He, he healed a man that was crippled for 38 years. And he's just come, or not recently, but, but relatively recently, he's just fed over 5,000 people with a, a few loaves of bread, some fish. The one thing that we do miss is that we forget... He's teaching them God's revealed will. He's going through, we don't know what particular passage, but he's going through a passage of God's word given to God's people so that they would understand what life was supposed to be like for them. All the people there, they had what they needed they just didn't understand it. So what's the problem? It's, it's not a problem that these people that are listening to Jesus, it's not a problem that they asked the question, where did you learn this? That's not a problem. Why are you such an impressive teacher? That's not necessarily bad. It's not bad. It's not a bad question in and of itself. But there does seem to be a problem here, and it lays much deeper than simply asking a question. Because as we continue to work through our passage, we're going to see the problem is not the question. The problem is how they are seeking to answer the question, because it seems to be that they are looking to their own sources of authority for an appropriate answer and not to God. You follow me? They have placed themselves over God and his word, and they are trying to determine on their own what is acceptable or not. They are looking to their own standards of education. They, they had standards of education back then as well. They had their Ivy League schools. But the problem is not that they're asking the question. The problem is they are placing themselves in a position of authority. They're either not thinking much about why they're doing it or they simply don't care. Either way, they're upside down because they are starting with themselves. And the standard that, that God has provided has been given to them, which is the word that Jesus is reading, and they're not really looking at it. So the first question when we think about this question posed to Jesus, is this not a problem to be asking Jesus or God questions? But where are you starting from in order to find the right answer? You see, these people have what they need in God's word. They just think they need to add something to it. 
And what they're really saying is, Jesus, if you answer us in a way that is acceptable to us, then we might just believe. How do we go about interpreting the world that we live in? How do you go about and engage, seek to understand the particular circumstances that you may be going through even right now? I mean, Matt was up here. He was praying for, uh, praying for people that were suffering um, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. What source of authority are you going to interpret that situation, that circumstance? What is your source of authority? How are you determining how you should proceed? It's not bad to ask God questions, but you need to start in the right place. Which leads to our second idea here, and Jesus answers their question. I do think it's important to realize that as you watch Jesus interact with these people, and John, uh, being overseen by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, is presenting Jesus in a particular way. And he isn't really going over the top to make these people follow him, is he? I mean, he's not saying, maybe I ought to change the way I approach you guys so that you'll like me. He just simply answers the, this question with truth. And the way he answers it, I do want us to think about it before I start getting into it. He answers with a general principle that is made up of two parts. And then he comes and he applies that general principle to their specific situation. We're going to look at the general principle first. Let me read it. Verse 16. Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Let me give you the general principle like this. Here's the first part of the general principle. I'm just going to be very, very pointed. This is what Jesus says. The first part of his general answer to the question, where do you get your authority, Jesus? Who taught you this stuff? Why should we believe you? Jesus first says, my teacher is God. I speak his words. And the only way you'll know that if they're true or not is if you want to. My teacher is God. I speak his words. And the only way that you'll know that this is true is if you want to. Realize that already in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus has already said, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And now Jesus says from a human perspective, how do you know I am who I say that I am? He says, if you choose to do God's will, you will know. It doesn't mean that you must attain a certain level of ethical achievement What he is saying is, you're going to have to trust God more than you trust yourself. And you have to come to a place that you know God is God, and he is right. And this isn't an intellectual exercise here. This is a posture of the heart. This is a question of our fundamental commitment as human beings. In other words, if you really do want to know God, if you want to know God, you're going to submit yourself to him. You're going to seek to do what he wants you to do, and then you'll know. And I... 
we don't like that, do we? I mean, do, do you like that? I mean, a lot of people, if I'm, if, if I'm right here, when I've told other people that, they said that sounds kind of circular. Right? They're saying, well, you have to trust God before you believe God, because that's what Jesus is saying here. And you say, that's kind of circular. And, and I don't have time to tell you why it's not circular, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit, but, but I'll, I'll grant you it's somewhat circular, but it's less circular than what these people are doing. You know what they're doing? It has to start with their starting point. Everybody starts with something. We either start with ourselves, or we start with something that we create, or we start with God. And the people here are starting with themselves. They're saying, hey, Jesus, we know what the standards are that you need to meet if we're to believe you. If you meet those standards, we might believe you. You realize that's a really little circle because it's all right around them. You need to act how we think you ought to act, and then we'll believe you. And Jesus is saying, You'll only know that I am God if you don't trust yourself. This is the first part of the general principle to know whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Have you come to a place where you know that all of your own efforts, whether they be moral efforts or intellectual efforts, Have you come to that place where all your efforts leave you lacking so that you can place your trust in something bigger than yourself? That's what Jesus means here. Do God's will and then you will know. That's the first part, but he doesn't leave them hanging. He goes to the second part. He explains why people are starting with themselves rather than God, and it's verse 18. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Look, people are not able to assess Jesus' words correctly. Why? Because they start with themselves. Do you know why they start with themselves? Because they're only concerned with their own glory. It's all about them. And Jesus comes and he places himself in this position willingly as the second person of the Trinity so that these people can hear what they need to hear. And it doesn't matter to him that he's looked down upon. It doesn't matter to him that some of those people want to kill him. It doesn't matter to him that that he's going to be scorned and laughed at because he's doing it for God's glory. And he's doing it because he loves these people. So so let me give you Jesus' general principle of defense in two different ways. One negatively, one positively. Jesus, they 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 asked Jesus, hey, how do we know what you're teaching is right? Where did you learn all this stuff? And you never went to any of our great schools. And Jesus says, listen. He says, since you're starting with yourself, you trust yourself more than God. And if you trust yourself more than God, then you'll never do what he says. And if you'll never do what he says, you'll never know what I'm saying is true because you're only concerned with your own glory. Or let me turn it around and put it positively. If you trust God more than yourself, then you will do God's will. If you do God's will, then you'll know what I'm saying is true. Because you're not seeking your own selfish glory, you're seeking God's glory. And look, there's the general principle. The particular application, and this puts it all together here. He says, says, I know you're not keeping God's will. You're not keeping God's will 
because you're trying to kill me, which is breaking the sixth commandment, and that's a pretty big breaking of the law, and it's proof that they're not really interested in what God thinks, they're only interested in themselves. They knew the sixth commandment. This is, this is not because, oh, it's so complicated. They weren't interested, at least some of them, in what they knew to be true. And Jesus calls them out. And you can see why they would be a little bit irritated, can't you? You can see how they might be offended, at least some of them. And you can tell by the way they respond. They respond by saying, Jesus, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? And realize this isn't some theological um, statement on demonology. They're simply saying, Jesus, you're out of your mind. Jesus, you're crazy. See, the initial question is not wrong. The response definitely is. So Jesus brings his defense to a conclusion with a final example of how they misunderstand. He first says, look, you guys aren't interested in keeping the the will of God. You're, You're breaking the sixth commandment because some of you want to kill me. And then he goes on and he says, you all circumcise on the Sabbath day in order to keep the law. That's a good thing. And I heal a crippled man on the Sabbath day. It's a reference back to the last time he was in Jerusalem. He healed a man, 38 years crippled. He healed him on the Sabbath. He says, I heal a crippled man on the Sabbath, and now you're mad. And look, this is why it's important. Circumcision was a sign and a seal of God's promise to come. And it it was so important that they could do it on the Sabbath. That's great. So Jesus comes and provides a fuller sign of God's promise And they don't get it because they don't want to get it. Which leads to our last point. I want you to see Jesus' desire here. His desire is that they would get it. Jesus wants them to get it, otherwise he wouldn't be here. And Jesus responds at the end of his explanation, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Do not judge by what you see or the standards that you set, but judge rightly. I don't know, we tend to hear this today and we think that this sounds kind of harsh. This isn't harsh. This is a call to trust God And it's the most loving thing that Jesus can say. He's saying, quit looking at the world from your own perspective. Saying, get off your little high horse and see me for who I am and what I'm doing. Don't judge by what you think is right. Judge by the one who is righteous and true. And what I need you to understand is the people listening to Jesus, and particularly the ones that were antagonistic to him, but even the people that just generally didn't understand, they had everything they needed to judge rightly. Jesus' words are the Father's words. It's the revealed will of God. They're coming to a festival, and it's centered around God's promises, and God's promises was revealed to them in God's word, and they had God's word, and they were teaching God's word. Not only that, but God was right there teaching them in the person of Jesus Christ. They had everything they needed. 
And that doesn't mean that they get everything that they think they need to get. That doesn't even mean they, they have to understand everything perfectly. They just needed to respond appropriately. So I will tell you, if you are here this morning, God has been clearly revealed even before this sermon. He's revealed in the call to worship. He's revealed in the prayers. He's revealed in the songs. We're just like these people here. The question is, how are we going to respond? Because let's think about this. Jesus comes. And he does what he does here at the temple in the middle of the greatest celebration that the Jews would participate in. And it was all about God's provision and bounty. And Jesus says, I am here with the words and the teaching of the Father. You see, Jesus doesn't come to create his own following, even though that's what he does. He doesn't come to make sure everybody knows that he's right, even though he is. He's not even at the temple so that he wins in the world's eyes because that's exactly what doesn't happen. But he comes to make sure people know God and serve God and love God. And not only that, to ultimately experience God's blessing of bounty and provision. That's what this celebration is all about. And he's saying, you need to make the right call here. Because it's not only of eternal consequence, it means a lot for your life today. Who is Jesus Christ? Do you know why John is telling this story about Jesus? Because he knows the people that are hearing this gospel for the first time and for subsequent times, all the way up even to this morning. The reason why John is telling this story is because he knows that that God's people are going to be tried and tempted and tested. And he doesn't want them to be naive about what life in the world is like as a Christian. John is concerned that, they under, that, that, that people understand themselves properly and they know God intimately. And if this is going to happen, they have to start in the right place. They can't start with themselves, but they got to start with the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer of the world. Because to be identified with Jesus Christ, listen to this. To be identified with Jesus Christ means that you believe and you trust him more than you trust yourself. And when you do that, not only say that, but do that, the world is going to look at you as if you are crazy too. Because if you go up to a friend that doesn't understand Jesus Christ and, and they, they ask you, what are you doing to get a promotion? Are, are you going to make this other person look bad? right? And you say, no, I'm going to trust God. They're going to look at you like you're weak or you're stupid or you're ignorant. Or, or what about some of you that, 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 that um, are looking for the love of their life, love of your life? And you're trying to, and you, and you want to be married. 
And you know clearly what God's word says. Yet this guy is attracted to you. I'll use the girl, okay? I shouldn't do that, but I will. Because I love girls more than I do guys. And this guy's attracted to you, and you know he's not the right kind of guy, but he's a guy, and you, and you want to be loved, which is the way you were created. But you know he's not the right guy. And this guy likes you. But you say no. Because I know what's more important, and what's most important is his love for Jesus, because if he doesn't love Jesus, he's never going to love me, and you're going to say no to this guy, and your friends are going to look at you that don't know Jesus, and they're going to say, you're crazy. And Jesus says, judge by what is right, not according to the, what the world says. And when you judge according to God's standards, the world's going to say, you're weak or you're dumb. John is saying, Jesus is saying, quit trusting yourself. You think you can determine on your own what is good and right and true, and yet in reality you are simply seeking your own glory. Think about it. This is the practical application here, and then we'll bring it to a conclusion. Being identified with Jesus Christ, and and look, I'll talk about that in a minute, but being identified with Jesus Christ means the world is going to, if you are living the way God calls us to live, To be identified with Jesus Christ means the world's going to put you on trial too. And John wants us to be ready. To know God is to seek his glory, to do his will, to live all of life for him. And if you're going to seek to do his, if you're going to seek his glory, to do his will, and to live all of life for him, then you're going to have to make some really hard decisions. And the decisions that you make will show who or what you are most committed to. It'll either be to yourself, it may be to your family, it may be to your job, it may be to how much money you make, it may be to your children, those are all good things. But if God doesn't come first, then it's wrong. And you can ask yourself, what decisions have I made, what decisions do I have coming in the future, and it will tell you where your commitment ultimately lies. What do you do on Sundays? And I know I'm talking to you on this Sunday, and I know you're here, so I guess you're doing the right thing with your Sundays, but let's not ask about this Sunday. Let's ask about the Sundays for the rest of your life. What are you going to do on your Sundays? Because that'll tell you what it is that's most important to you. And I know we live in a world that Sunday's your day, Sunday's fun day, and that's not what God says. What do you do with your money? What do you do with your time? And if you're not a little bit afraid, little bit afraid about, about how you answer those questions, then you're really not aware of your weakness, and you really don't understand what God has called you to do. What about how you go about making decisions? Because that's what's happening here. They're trying to make a determination about Jesus Christ, but it can apply to anything, and it can apply to everything. Are you ready to not trust yourself about what you think is best for you and follow God no matter what it is? I mean, that is one of the hardest questions that, 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 that will ever be asked of you. Are you ready to not trust yourself about what you think is best for you and follow God? And let me tie this all together. What is it that's going to make you bold enough to answer that question in a right way? What is it that's going to make you not afraid to be made fun of or to be put on trial or for people to think you're crazy or you're ignorant or you're weak? What is it? It, it, 
I know we always tell you, and I believe this, to, 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 to look to Jesus in all of the Bible. But if you were to simply just take this day and look at Jesus in these 11 verses, you will see your God humbly coming to the crowds, working for his Father's glory, allowing himself to be put on trial, allowing himself to be questioned and evaluated, and he doesn't have to do this. And he speaks truth in front of men and women, some who are simply curious about who God is, some who simply probably just want to come to the big party, some who are open and receptive to Jesus Christ, but others are openly antagonistic and angry. And even right here, God in the flesh is loving those who are not very lovable. That's our God. When you see your God doing this for you, you will not be afraid. When it melts your heart, you can be bold about what it is that God calls you to do because you've made changed, or God has, or, and you have, changed your fundamental commitment to who you're going to trust. You're either going to trust your, yourself with your life and your own standards, or you're going to trust your God who sent his son to live and die for you. So Jesus says, do not judge according to appearances. Judge with right judgment. You have everything that you need because I have come. You have everything that you need because I am here. You have everything that you need because I will come again. It's not wrong to ask the question. In fact, we ought to be asking the question. More of us ought to be asking these type of questions. But we need to know where the right starting point is. We need to start at that, start right, that right starting point. And we need to trust God more than we trust ourselves. We simply need to get busy with doing what God has called us to do. Because we have a God who, who we can trust. So look, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ here this morning, my prayer is, and our prayer, this session's prayer, many people in this congregation, our prayer is that even now you will realize that God is a God worth trusting. And you can say, before you leave this day, you can say, I believe I will trust you, God. You'll start doing as well, and then you'll know that God can be trusted. If you've already trusted in Christ, which many of you, many I know, have, it doesn't mean that you're, not, that you're doing it that well, right? And the beautiful thing of that is it's okay. It's okay to struggle with trusting. The beauty of this is that God knows Otherwise, he wouldn't have come. When you rest in that love, your trust will continue and it will grow. And all you're called to do is to keep trusting and to keep doing his will. So we're about to come to the Lord's table where we will meet spiritually with this same Jesus that is presented here in this passage. So let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that he has come for us. And that he's willingly submitted himself to, to something that he, that he didn't have to. Because he loves us. I pray that would pour over our hearts this morning as we, even now, think about the word that was just preached. But even now as we think about the word put on this table. And we'll remember that you loved us so much that Jesus Christ has come and died for us. That our sins have been covered with his blood. And because of his work, we can say yes to Jesus. We can trust Jesus even more than we trust ourselves. Would you help us with that this day? It's in Christ's name. Amen.